This last week, my family and I had the opportunity to go down to uh, the Florida Panhandle and spend a week at the beach for fall break, and uh, we were just relaxing and doing nothing for a few days and, and soaking in those last days of sun uh, before we came back at the, uh, this weekend and someone had left the refrigerator door open here uh, in East Tennessee. It was very cold uh, when we got back here uh, from the panhandle. But uh, I'm, I'm thankful to have pastors that are able to, when I'm out of town, to, to come and to, to preach God's word faithfully and powerfully. And we have many great preachers on our staff, and Daryl did a great job last week. We were tuned in watching while we were driving down there. And, uh, but I'm glad to be back here with you today. And unfortunately, what happens when a preacher is out for a week is when he gets back, you're going to get like twice as much umph, right? Because I, I missed it for a week. So, so you're going to get that today uh, as we continue in this series. And so we were down there at the beach, and the first day that we, that we got there, uh, the tail end of Hurricane Delta, was the remnants of it were still kind of churning out there in, in the Gulf of Mexico. And so the very first day that we were there, the water was really choppy and, and overhead waves, which is very unusual for, for the Gulf. It's always like glass out there as you're and the water's real crystal clear uh, in that part of the state. And, and so the lifeguards there will use flags to communicate with the public to let them know about the conditions uh, for swimming. So on that first day that we were there, there was double red flags. The two red flags are on the pole, which means that you cannot get in. Public, public use is prohibited. This is very, very dangerous uh, with the undertow and everything. You do not go, go into the water on those days. They use a whole system of color flags. So if they put one red flag up, that's, that's a, high, a high hazard day. It means it's really rough out in the water and, and that it's not a really good idea to get in the water. And they'll put a yellow flag up, which is sort of a, like a caution flag. It's, if you're not a really strong swimmer, uh, then you need to really be careful out in those sort of waters. And then if they put a green flag up, it means uh, this is the, the day that they take the picture that they put on the postcards. It's like real flat, everybody's laying out there in their, in their uh, floats and stuff like that. And then the purple flags, I didn't know about purple flags until this week, uh, but because there was one flying, purple flag means that there's uh, dangerous marine life like jellyfish or stingrays or if Jaws comes by or something, that this is the, when they put the, the purple flag up for you. And they use all of these flags for our good. They're there to help us and to protect us. If a person chooses to ignore these flags or to disobey these flags, then the consequences could be fatal. And the same is true with the Word of God. God's Word is to help us. It's to protect us. It's to give us life. But if a person chooses to ignore these flags or to disobey these flags, the consequences are fatal. Obedience is important to God. You see it from the beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible. In the Old Testament, he says that to obey is better than sacrifice. In the New Testament, he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. God has always demanded obedience. 
And that's the theme of this stanza this morning, is we're continuing through Psalm 119, and this is a series that we're calling People of the Book, because the idea is that we want to become people of the book, people who are committed to the Bible, who, people who, who love God's Word and who cherish God's Word and who obey God's Word, because that's really what this stanza is all about. It's about obedience. And Psalm 119 is a Hebrew alphabet poem. Every stanza in that chapter, uh, the first letter of each line begins with a particular letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And today's stanza all begin with the Hebrew letter, Chaith. Now, I just cleared out my throat. That's how you pronounce it. Everybody go, Chaith. Yeah, that was terrible. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's how it sounds. Mine was terrible also, so I'm just putting that out there. But if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word, if you're able, to Psalm 119. We're going to be in verses 57 through 64 this morning. The word of God says, The Lord is my portion. I've promised to keep your words. I've sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I thought about my ways and turned my steps back to your decrees. I hurried, not hesitating to keep your commands. Though the ropes of the wicked were wrapped around me, I did not forget your instruction. I rise at midnight to thank you for your righteous judgments. I'm a friend to all who fear you, to those who keep your precepts. Lord, the earth is filled with your faithful love. Teach me your statutes. Thank you. You may be seated. The theme of this stanza is obedience, and today we're going to look at it with two two, uh, points. The first is the urgency of obedience, and the second are the attributes of obedience. So we'll begin with the urgency of obeying. And the psalmist begins by declaring his obedience, his allegiance, To the word of God. In verse 57, he says, The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. So he's made a vow here, a promise to keep your words, to obey God's word. And we obey not that we would be saved, but because we are saved. Everybody hear the difference? We obey God, we obey the word of God. Not in order to be saved, not in order to earn salvation, not in order to earn our spot in heaven. We're not obeying in order to to have enough good works. We're obeying because we are saved, because we've received the grace of God in our lives. And this is an act of love and an act of worship unto God. And if you are a Christian today, you are committed to God as the Lord of your life. He's the Lord, which also means the master or the king or the boss, as one of our young men told me this morning, that he's the boss of my life. And so that necessarily means that you'll follow him. He's not the Lord of your life. He's not the king or the master or the boss if you don't obey him. And so if you are following him, it necessarily means that you're going to obey him. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, you may be wondering, well, what, is this, what do I care about this? Why should I obey the Bible? Because these are your creator's guidelines to have a fulfilling life. Now, all of us want happiness and 
fulfillment in our lives. And these are the warning flags from the Lord. He wants to have a plan for each of us that we would find our joy in Him, that we would have a relationship with Him, that we would follow Him with our lives. Because that's where we're going to find real joy. It's not in whatever temptations are out in front of us this morning. It's in a relationship with God. This was the exact same choice that was facing Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They could obey the word of the Lord and have a relationship with him, or they could disobey his command and suffer the consequences of their sin, or they would be removed from the presence of God and they would face death. Right, they had that, that simple, there was just one command at that point. It was, don't eat the, the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. And they had this choice to either obey or to disobey. And each of us make the same sort of choices every single day. And, and, and we would admit that we followed our own ways and we've disobeyed God's word in our lives. And if we were honest, we'd also admit that those choices didn't bring us the happiness that we were looking for. They didn't give us that that joy or that fulfillment that we thought that we were going to find. And so we face the consequences for our sin being separated from God. And all of us would be hopeless because of our sin, except that God didn't leave us there. The Bible tells us that he sent his very own son, Jesus, to come to the earth to save us. And Jesus lived a life where he never disobeyed the Father. He was completely obedient. He was completely without sin. Yet, he still died on the cross, the Bible tells us, because the penalty for sin is death. But because he was sinless, he wasn't dying for his sin. He was dying to pay the price for your sins and for my sins at Calvary. But on the third day, he rose from the dead, conquering sin for us. And each of us can have salvation in our hearts. Each of us can have forgiveness and life instead of judgment and death. If we'll believe in Jesus as our Savior, place our faith in what he did for us on the cross and follow him as the Lord of your life. And so we do, when we do that, Jesus forgives us of our sin. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. He puts a new heart within us, and we desire to follow after him because of what he's done, because we love him. Our joy is in him and not in our sinful choices. The Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon said about this passage, I would counsel every Christian to answer all temptations with this short saying, the Lord is my portion. That's, how he's, that's the reminder that he's putting in front of himself right there at, at the outset. Whenever that temptation is in front, of, when that choice is there to either obey or to disobey, he says, the Lord is my portion. My joy is in him and not in this temptation. And to obey or disobey is always a choice. Now, there might be some difficult circumstances that will cloud our judgment. There might be 
things that are playing on our emotions. But in the end, there's always a, a choice. You'll either obey or you'll disobey the word of God. It really is that simple. It really is black and white. And as we've seen from the first man and woman, disobeying God is called sin. And sin leads to death. Now, we might try to make it more complicated than that. We'll try to to make the lines fuzzy or the areas gray. But there's always a choice. You'll either obey or you'll disobey. And no matter how we justify it in our own mind, that's the way that God sees it. You're either obeying him or you're disobeying him. We don't get points for effort. We don't get credit for having the best excuses. And since God is the final judge that we will have to stand before and give account of our lives, the way that he sees it is the only way that matters. And so God, he doesn't expect for us to be perfect. And that's why Jesus came, right? Because we're not perfect. But he does expect for us to be growing in our obedience unto him. But unfortunately, in, in, in a lot of the church today, we don't focus much on actually obeying God's word. I was reading a book recently from a pastor in Texas, and he's a pastor of a really large church there, and he was talking to these pastors and these church planting movements that are occurring in restricted countries in the world, these underground church movements that are, churches just exploding. And he says to him, you know, what, what's the difference? Like, why, why, what is happening in your churches that's not happening and our churches here in America. And this is, this is this pastor's answer. I want you to listen closely. He says, you guys focus on knowledge. We focus on obedience. He says, in the American church, we focus on knowledge. We're focusing on obedience. And so this, this pastor in Texas writes, in the American church, how do we decide when to move on to the next sermon. We move on once we've heard it or read it or learned it, regardless of whether anyone has obeyed it. In traditional American churches, obeying is not the goal. And unfortunately, he's pretty, pretty true. Because we, we can sit here week after week after week after week and we can say, I heard it. I know all Psalm 119 in in about two more months. You'll say, I know all about Psalm 119. Because you've heard it. You've learned it. But has it transformed your life? Are you obeying it? That's really the question. In verse 58, he continues. He says, I've, I've sought your favor with all of my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. And so here you see how he's running after God in his, in his obedience. He's, he's going with all of his heart because obedience cannot be half-hearted. You can't halfway follow after God. You can't halfway obey his commands. I mean, can you 
imagine if when Jesus told Peter to put down his nets and to come follow after him, he's like, I can go today. Next Tuesday and Thursday, I could probably do it. The rest of the week sort of hit and miss. Can you imagine Peter saying that to Jesus? Do you think Jesus would have put up with that from his disciples? Of course not. So why do we think that he would accept that from us? See, there aren't any classifieds for part-time Christians. He's asking us for obedience, for full-hearted devotion to him. In verse 59, he continues. He says, I thought about my ways and I turned my steps back to your decrees. This is the definition of repentance. He says, I was looking at my life. This is something that all of us ought to do. I thought about my ways. He was examining his heart and his life. And he says, I turned back my feet, my steps, back to your decrees. This is showing that this is not a whim. This isn't some wishful promise. He's turning his feet to the Lord's word. He's reorienting his life to God's word. He's making sure that his his ways line up with the word of God. He's not trying to change the word of God in order to justify his ways. Because we interpret our experience in light of the word. We don't interpret the word in light of our experience. Henry Blackaby, Christian author, says this, If you know that God loves you, you should never question a directive from him. It'll always be right and best. And when he gives you a directive, you're not just to observe it or discuss it or debate it. You are to obey it. That's what the psalmist is doing here. He's looking over his life and he's he's saying, "What what needs to be reoriented to be in line with the word of God? Now, if you look in the New Testament, there's a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 7. It's one that you've probably heard before about these two men that uh, build a foundation. One builds a foundation on the rock, and the other one builds a foundation upon the sand, and it's showing about what, how they're building their lives. But there's, there's a phrase in there that maybe you didn't notice before, and it really sticks out like a sore thumb once you see it. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24, this is what Jesus says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Did he say everyone who hears these words of mine will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock? Did he say that everybody who sat in church and heard the sermon will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock? He says everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, they pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and it collapsed with a great crash. The one who acts on it, the one who does it, the one who's obedient. He continues in verse 60. The psalmist says, I hurried, 
not hesitating to keep your commands. Now, a lot of furniture companies will try and get your business by putting out these these sales with a lot of incentives in them to sort of get you to come and make a purchase. So they'll say things like, you come buy this bedroom uh, furniture set and you'll have 12 months with no payments and no interest, right? The whole idea is you buy it now and you'll pay for it later sort of thing. And you'll see other companies that'll do things like, come buy this today and you'll have a 90-day money-back guarantee, no hassle, no questions asked, right? So you can go and purchase whatever the thing is, and for 90 days you can, you can decide whether you want to keep it or not, and if you don't like it, you can just bring it back and give it back to them. Well, choosing to follow God is not like that. There's not this trial period to see if you like Jesus, and then you can return him after a few months. The, the psalmist here, he's, he's clear in his conviction. He's not delaying in his obedience because delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. If your employer asks you to have a project turned in by Friday and you walk into her office six months from now and say, I got that project finished, do you think that she's going to be really happy and congratulate you on getting that project finished six months from now? Of course not. You know why? Because delayed obedience is disobedience. It's like if you asked your kids to, you know, you've washed all the clothes and folded all the laundry and you got it in the, the piles for them and you say, I want you to go take your clothes and go put them in your drawers. And then five days later, they're still sitting there on the dining room table. And you go, I need you to go put them, uh, you know, in your drawers, and then they go do it. Do you say, wow, that's great. Thank you for obeying what I asked you to do. No, because delayed obedience is disobedience. And that's, I mean, the psalmist is not putting it off until after he's finished having fun in life. He's, he's not putting it off until he's started a family, and then he's going to get his life in order He's not putting it off until things are less hectic in his life. He's not putting it off until he's retired. He says he's hurrying to obey God's word. There's an urgency in obedience. And this morning, I'm pleading with you to choose to obey Christ today. Not on down the line, not years from now, not whenever you have planned to do it to obey Christ today. We're raising up the flags and putting out the warnings for you. The second part of this stanza, the psalmist is showing us what obedience looks like. He's sort of listing some attributes of someone who is obedient to the Lord. And the first one is this, that they have commitment in obedience. In verse 61, he says, Though the ropes of the wicked were wrapped around me, I did not forget your instruction. Here's the the psalmist opportunity to bail. This is when things start to sort of get tough for him. The cords of the wicked are wrapped around him right now. It's not easy to follow the Lord at this point. And this is the, the moment 
where he could say, "Uh, I'm out, I'm tapping out. But that's not what he says. Instead, he says, though the ropes of the wicked are wrapped around me, I did not forget your instruction. He's staying committed in the tough time. And I can assure you that if you resolve to be obedient to God's word, it won't be long until you face difficulty from the evil one. Because the Bible tells us that he comes to kill and to steal and to destroy your life. That he's a thief. So if you decide that you're going to uh, be committed to the Lord, he's going to be determined to try to pull you away from God. And the question then is, are you going to remain committed in your obedience? Because I think this is what happens to a lot of people. They say, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to obey him. And then the devil launches an attack against them and they, they bail out. Or they choose to say, I, I want to grow in my walk with Christ. I'm going to start getting serious. I'm going to, I'm going to be obedient. I, I want to go to the next level in my walk with the Lord. And the devil launches an onslaught against you and you sort of balk at that because it's easier to be casually committed to Christ. But Jesus isn't interested in casual obedience. And this happens all the time. You go, all right, we're going to get our family together. We're going to get up on time. We're going to go to church. We haven't been in a while, but we want to go. We're going to make this commitment. We're going to start going. What happens on that Sunday morning? The power went out. The the alarm didn't go off. The coffee maker didn't work. I mean, the kids didn't find the clothes, the socks or whatever. I mean, everything that could go wrong that would keep you from coming will go wrong. If you decide, I want to I get up, I want to start reading my Bible every day. I want to make that commitment and, and, and to do that in my life. Then what's going to happen? Well, you're going to be more tired than you ever were on those mornings. And it's going to be so hard to get up and to do those things. And you're going to find every excuse about why you, why you couldn't do it. Why is that? Because Satan does not want you to be obedient. He does not want you to, to grow in this area of your life. So are you going to be committed to obey God? There's a second attribute that he lists here, and that is that that they'll have consistency in obedience. In verse 62, he says, I rise at midnight to thank you for your righteous judgments. So the, the psalmist has made obedience to God's word such a normal pattern of his life that even when he gets up in the middle of the night, He's going to be obedient to God. So in the morning, he's following God. When he's at work, he's following God. When he's on his lunch break, he's following God. When he goes back to work, he's still following God. When he goes home in the evening, he's following God. When he wakes up in the middle of the night, he's following God. Because any time is the right time to obey God. There are many people who have said that consistency is better than rare moments of greatness. This guy is no different in the dark than in the light. He's no different away from the church building than he is in the church building. He's established a consistent obedience in his life. So the question that you have to answer is, are you consistent in obeying God? 
There's a third attribute that he lists, and that is that they would find community in obedience. In verse 63, he says, I'm a friend to all who fear you, to those who keep your precepts. So the psalmist has set up parameters in his life of obedience. He's hanging out with God's people. He says, I'm friends with people who are of the same mind. The people he spends time with are people who have chosen to obey the word of God and are walking in obedience to God. That's what the author of Hebrews reminds us to do in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. He says, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. He's saying that we need to push one another, to provoke love and good deeds among one another. In verse 25, he says, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That we was, as the church family would, encourage one another and push one another in obedience. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12, Solomon says, if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. That there's, there's power in community. I was once told, if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. That basically... The people that you are around are going to impact your life. They're going to influence your decisions and your behavior. And frankly, it's much easier to continue to obey God's word when you're spending time with people who are trying to obey God's word. When you're hanging out with people who are trying to live for the Lord. And that's what D groups or discipleship groups are all about on our discipleship journey map, that people would be involved in these groups of of three or four or five people, men together, women together. And the idea is that you would push one another and encourage one another and provoke one another to love and to good works, to obeying God's word, to, to doing what we say we are. And that you would hold one another accountable in those. And that's what the psalmist says. He says, I'm, I'm lifted up, I'm edified by my companions. And so maybe when you look at your life today, you, you say, maybe I need to join this fellowship of believers so that I would have friends in my life who are going to encourage me in my relationship with God. You should become part of the church family. Or you should become part of a D group or discipleship group that's going to really push you to develop and to grow in your walk with God and to obey his word. So do you have a community of obedience? Because listen, we've raised the flags up this morning and we've put out the warning. Now what you have to answer in your own heart is, am I going to obey it? There are some here today who have never trusted in Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. And as we said earlier in the sermon today, Jesus came to this earth and he died on the cross to to provide salvation for you. We're not going to be obedient in order that we would earn that. We're obeying God's word because we've received this grace in our life that we don't deserve. 
this, this love from, from God. And if you would today believe in your heart in what Jesus has done for you, how he died on the cross to pay the price for your sin, how he was raised from the dead on the third day so that you could have life and salvation, that you would have uh, eternal, eternal life in heaven instead of punishment in hell because of your sin. If that's a decision that you want to make in your heart today, in a minute we're going to have leaders here. They're going to be across the front, and we're going to be standing. We're going to be singing. And I want to encourage you to come and to share with one of these leaders and say, this is a decision I want to make in my heart today. I want to follow after God. I want to be forgiven of my sin, and I want to follow him as the Lord of my life. Christians today, as we think about this passage of Scripture and the attributes of someone who is obedient to the Lord, This is a choice that we're going to make, to obey or to disobey. And so are you committed today? Are you being consistent in your obedience? Have you surrounded yourself with a community of obedience? These are questions that you can answer in your heart over these next few minutes and settle these things with the Lord. As you spend time in prayer there at your seat or or even here at this altar. But now is the time, and I say this every single week, For us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, thank you for the word that you've given to us today. And God, may we not just be hearing a sermon today. May we not just be able to say, this is what Psalm 119 is about. We should obey but God, that we would walk out of here obeying and being obedient, putting into practice what we hear, being transformed by the word of God. And so, Lord, I pray that you do that work in our hearts today. Lord, any that might need to come trusting in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would step out today and express that faith in you. God, in Christians' lives, may you work to draw us closer to you during this time. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.